0: May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Every three years we have this interesting little interlude from Mark's Gospel. So this is the year of Mark and the three-year lectionary, the kind of timetable of Bible readings for each Sunday. Uh, so this year we focus mostly on Mark, but Mark is shorter. So uh, around uh, Lent and Easter we spent a bit of time in John's Gospel. And here, in the middle of August, we have a whole lot of weeks on John 6, which is all about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, the first of the great I am statements. And it's a terrible trap, I'd have to say, for young preachers. The danger is, unless you know this is four or five weeks on I am the bread of life, use up all your great ideas on week one, And by week three, you are really desperate. But, luckily, I'm not preaching for the next two weeks, so here goes. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. What the lectionary writers have done to get us here is, you may remember, two or three weeks ago, we had Mark's story about Herod's depraved meal with his drunk Friends and other important people, and his stepdaughter danced, and they all thought that was great, and that's a little dodgy. And then uh, he offers the world, and she wants John the baptizer's head, and that is in Mark's gospel, followed by and contrasted with the five thousand, the feeding of the five thousand men, plus women and children. And we often miss that contrast because, well, first of all, we split up those two stories. And actually, in our lectionary readings, what we did was we heard about that depraved meal. Then we kind of jumped around what Mark does next and left out the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children. And then two weeks later, we jumped to John's Gospel and his version of the feeding of the 5,000. At one level, that's fine. That's okay. Especially if this is just a kind of story about Jesus' life. We can kind of duck and dive around and take the stories from one place or another. But these are not stories, just stories about Jesus' life. They're not a history of Jesus. As I've said repeatedly, the Gospels are theology books and they write their theology using story So one of the dangers we have in doing this is we take us, we kind of miss the theology that's at play. The theology is, well, they're all trying to answer the question, who is Jesus, and they all answer it slightly differently. And so, Mark's gospel has uh, this: these two stories, the depraved meal and the feeding of the five thousand. One is a meal of the wealth and the powerful who can have someone's head removed because they got turned on a little bit. And then Jesus' meal, which is all about God's generosity and God's compassion and God's hospitality. And this meal that Jesus is holding is with those who have been impoverished by that wealthy group meeting with Herod. They are the wealthy and they have that wealth because... They have rendered the peasants landless and poor. But John's story, John's theology is a little bit different. John is not contrasting these two meals. John is introducing the first of his I am statements. I am the bread of life in John 6 is the first of the I am statements. And these statements function in John's gospel. Uh, as kind of coat hangers or coat hangers on which we can hang our understanding of who John is how John is answering that question who is Jesus so and through Jesus how we understand God the Father so John's theology is hung on these seven statements this is the first of those statements so let's have a look at the the story and what we can glean from the story about how we might understand John, how we might understand Jesus, and through Jesus, how we might understand God the Father. So, in John's Gospel, Jesus feeds a big bunch of people, Uh, then he leaves, uh, and then the disciples, uh, he goes off to pray, and then the disciples get in the boat, and then they sail away, and then the crowd wake up, and Jesus isn't there, and the disciples aren't there, and the crowd knows that Jesus didn't get in the boat um, and then so they're kind of where is he and then a whole of other boats come and so they get in those boats and they go to Capernaum in search of Jesus and when they find him <coughs> uh, as as the NRSV says the question is Rabbi when did you come here which kind of sounds like Rabbi which bus did you catch and how did you get here so quickly but actually is much more a question of who are you? Like, you went up into the hills and your disciples went on the boat and here you are and you weren't in the boat and you fed us from not much food and there was all that food left over. You are clearly someone more than a carpenter's son. Who are you? That's the question. Now, if we read Jesus' answer in terms of which bus did you catch to get here so quickly, Jesus' answer makes no sense whatever. He just ignores that question because he's not answering that question. If we read the question to be, who are you? Well, Jesus' answer makes a lot more sense. The rest of the answer is in response then to that who are you that you can feed us all and get here before us when you weren't in the boat? That's what he's talking about. And Jesus says, well, you're looking for me and asking this question because I fed you, but don't look for the food, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, the life without ending, which the Son of Man will give you. And then there's a lot more conversation uh, around what Jesus might mean by that until they ask what sign are you going to give us then so that we may see it and believe you what work are you performing our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat which I feels a little rude doesn't it he's just fed them all and now they want another sign that's a little demanding isn't it maybe or maybe not so the first thing to remember is that these are all peasants So they spend their lives working for bread. Bread comprises a huge percentage of their daily calorie intake. And without bread, they starve. And their life is spent either making bread or earning the money to buy bread or buy the ingredients for the bread. Life revolves around that. Just imagine then, if Jesus was like Moses and could provide them bread every day except the sabbath think what that would do to their lives think what freedom that would give them think what they could do with the money they earn as day laborers if they didn't always just have to be buying the food to keep them alive for another day read from that point of view this is a fair enough question like our ancestors in the wilderness were given bread every day not just once off like are you able to do that kind of sign Because that would be a very cool sign. So, the second way we can read this, the second thing we need to remember is one of the metaphors for the law of Moses is bread from heaven. In fact, the bread from heaven was the way that God, they would have said, God taught them about the law. If you are dependent on God and you have to obey a whole lot of rules about how much money you can Take from the desert and which days you can take it and what happens to you if you get too much more then you learn to trust God and that's what the law is about, it's about putting in place the boundaries so that they might trust God for everything and this understanding of the Mosaic law being implied and kind of tangled up in this manna from the desert is kind of involved in Jesus' response where he says very truly I tell you it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven the law but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives light to the world and they say to him sir give us this bread always and Jesus says to them I am the bread of life Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in we, me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. Now as we read, here, listen to these seven I am statements, these seven coat hangers that John provides us to understand who Jesus is, it's really important that we remember that these statements are important but they're not the point. Too often we get hung up on these and go, this, these are the point. And John would say, they're not the point, they're really important, but they point us to who Jesus really is. And John keeps saying that if we know Jesus, we know God the Father. And so when we read these I Am statements with the rest of the Gospel, we see how John is answering the really big question, the big question the crowd asked, who are you Jesus. And John would answer, Jesus is the one through whom we know God. Jesus is the one in whom we find life. And this life, this life, which John calls eternal life, is a life based on God's compassion and generosity, as revealed when he fed the 5,000. Particularly, God's compassion and generosity for the poor. This life is, is a life based on justice, especially for the poor. When people anchor their lives in this, then creation is renewed and humanity is restored. The covenant is fulfilled, as Paul would say. Each week we gather around the Eucharistic table, and each week we are invited as we gather to remember that Jesus is the bread of life. And as we eat this bread, we are eating Jesus, the bread of life. But more than that, we are also invited to remember those meals that Jesus offered, the 5,000 plus and the 4,000 plus. And the compassion and the generosity and the hospitality that Jesus showed in each of those cases. But more than that, we're also reminded, invited to, be, to, rem, to remember all the times that Jesus broke the rules and ate with sinners and outcasts and tax collectors and widows and orphans, all those people who he was not supposed to eat with, who were beyond the pale, who were beyond God's compassion and generosity. So said the religious leaders of his time. Every time we eat the bread of life, we are invited to be immersed in God's way or God's way enters into us and changes us from the inside. When we eat Jesus, the bread of life, we are to be fed with compassion and generosity and love. The love of God. And we need to remember that this is not for our sake. This is the sake for all we meet all we struggle with all who should be welcome at this table. One of my favourite churches is uh, St. Gregory of Nyssa in San Francisco. Normally we have the font by the door, our font is by the door, uh, and we understand baptism as the way we come to the communion table. But in St. Gregory of Nyssa, as you come through the door into the church and you enter into the Eucharistic space, there's a number of different spaces in that church, Uh, in this round space it's the table it's the first thing you see as you enter into the into the church and then you go off to the right and there's a very there's a long um, narrow space with seats on each side facing each other and the priests and the leaders of the service sit at one end and the lectern from where uh, the readings are read and the gospel is proclaimed are at the other end And the first half of the service, the ministry of the service of there. And then everyone is welcome to come through and gather standing, tighten it around the Eucharistic table. And at the end of the great Thanksgiving, we share that Eucharist with each other. The font is through another set of doors. The font, baptism, is for those who have made a commitment and understand what it means to live with Jesus, the bread of life at the heart of their lives. They are the people who have been shaped by God's compassion and generosity, by God's justice and life and love. And they are the ones who are then baptised. All are welcome to this table. Now, usually in churches, especially higher higher Anglican churches, um, the altar is only for you Christians. I know people who won't even sign wedding registers on the altar. No, 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 that's a bad thing. But, In St. Gregory of Nyssa, they have their morning tea from the altar. Everyone gathers around again and has cups of tea and coffee and food and share in the life of that church based around that Eucharistic table. During the week, the food bank is operated off that Eucharistic table. It is the first place you meet because off that table and by people shaped by that generosity and compassion is real food offered to people. I've got to say there's a much better understanding for me personally of what Eucharist is about so today I invite us to gather around this Eucharistic table and I invite us to think about what it means for us to be fed by God's compassion by God's justice by God's hospitality by God's generosity and how we might live that out So that the bread of life, Jesus, the bread of life, is what shapes us. Amen.